Hey, it's Emily Russell. Just a quick heads up. Our show contains some harsh language, and some listeners might find certain parts of this episode disturbing. There's a little wine shop in Ballston Spa, New York, about 30 miles north of the state capital. Rainbow-colored bottles line the shop's front window. Hi, are you Jess? Yeah. Hey, I'm Zach Hirsch. The shop is owned by Jess Rich. She's been here more than seven years. I'm very openly queer and very open about this store being a space where queer people should feel welcome. And um, it's not just... Last summer, Rich was working in her shop when she saw something out in the street. It was a group of at least 20 men in masks marching alongside a pickup truck. As an openly queer person in a conservative area, Rich says she always has her guard up. I've been expecting something, not them necessarily, but something to happen forever. You kind of live with this preparation, right? The sound is from a video recorded by one of those masked men. It shows the group marching past Rich's wine shop, blasting a provocative song called Try That in a Small Town. They're flying big American flags and wearing a lot of black and yellow. Printed on their face coverings and t-shirts are bold letters that read, Proud Boys. The Proud Boys are a violent, far-right extremist group. But on that Saturday afternoon in August, Jess Rich had no idea who the men were. So I didn't even think. I just, as soon as I saw them, I ran out the door. I saw the flags. I saw they were all masked, and I just... uh, had words with them. Um, what did you say? I said, get the fuck out of my town. You are disgusting and should be ashamed of yourself. So are you. <laughs> you. <laughs> and then they started screaming back at me. And so, you know, I just gave them the finger. They were snapping pictures of me, taking video. And they moved along down the street. Proud Boys also marched that weekend in Saratoga Springs in the nearby town of Waterford, handing out flyers. Other far-right groups have also recruited around upstate New York in recent years, including the infamous Ku Klux Klan and lesser-known groups like Patriot Front. And whether it's posturing or propaganda or a real threat, top security officials and experts take this seriously. People in these far-right movements say they're serious, too. We're seeing this incredible rise in hate-filled violence and hate-filled intimidation. You take somebody who might have a kind of suspicion of government, you say to them, like, hey, come join our group that has a solution for you, right? And some of those solutions are pretty violent. The role of what I believe militia is today is to prepare for dark times. I, I believe that at some point the system will fall. We know that authoritarianism is on the rise around the world. In a lot of rural counties across the U.S., people are buying in. We've spent the last six months looking into extremist groups and militia movements here in upstate New York. And we found that they're active and recruiting, sometimes online, sometimes out in the real world. This is If All Else Fails from North Country Public Radio. I'm Zach Hirsch. And I'm Emily Russell. When we set out to look at far-right extremism in the North Country, we had a bunch of questions. First, we wanted to know the status of the far-right movement here. What do people believe in? What groups are active? What militias exist? 
and we wanted to just take the temperature of the region. So we started out on the surface, just driving around, looking at flags and bumper stickers. Don't tread on me. An American flag above it in Oppenheim, Fulton County. Lowville just saw a truck with a FJB. Let's go Brandon stickers. Let's go Brandon and FJB, of course, mean fuck Joe Biden. Some people put their politics on display. This is NRA country. Protect your rights. Driving through Johnstown. The North Country is a massive part of New York State. It spans from the Vermont border in the east all the way west to the shores of Lake Ontario and up north to the border with Canada. Over the last few decades, this part of upstate New York has gone from purple to pretty red. Most local, state, and federal officials here are Republican. Many people are deeply devoted to Donald Trump. There are signs and flags all over the region that falsely claim Trump won the 2020 election. We also saw some Confederate flags, a symbol associated with slavery and racism. See it? Two, three Confederate flags. Mm. Wow. That was in the city of Glens Falls. We have a Punisher logo. An American flag kind of imprinted on top of it. The Punisher logo looks like a skull with long teeth. It was originally a comic book character, a kind of anti-hero out for violent revenge. The symbol has since been co-opted by American soldiers and more recently by anti-government groups and white supremacists. We've seen that logo around upstate New York. We've also seen a QAnon sticker and flags with the Roman numeral three representing the three percenters, which is part of the broader anti-government militia movement. These symbols can mean different things to different people. And these ideas exist on a spectrum. Fuck Joe Biden is a lot less threatening than the ideas behind a three percenters flag. A Trump one sign doesn't have the same meaning as, say, a Confederate flag does. And it's hard to know what the spectrum even is, whether it's about gun rights, government overreach, race. Ideas that were once considered extreme have become more mainstream. This is happening all around the country. Many conservatives have shifted more to the right, embracing lies about the election and other conspiracy theories. People are identifying with provocative, sometimes violent movements and displaying symbols of those movements. And the symbols usually have one thing in common. They reflect anger or distrust towards the government or society as a whole. All right, folks. The next speaker I'm going to introduce started out like most patriots, and that was being asleep to a, the events that were going on around him. Living in San Diego, this is video from an event in 2018 posted to YouTube. The man on the stage is dressed like a soldier from the American Revolution. He is here today to help protest the tyranny that we face here in this state of New York. The event was called Freedom Fest. It happened in Norwich, New York, a few hours west of the state capitol. Then, a man named Nathan Mizrahi steps onto the stage. Get involved with your militias. I assure you, they will be needed if this tyranny continues. Mizrahi has a three percenters tattoo on his hand. He identifies himself as the commanding officer of the Liberty State Militia. He tells folks in the crowd they need to step up to do their part to defend their freedoms. Call your local sheriffs. I walked right into the office of mine, said, howdy, I'm the commanding officer of Liberty State Militia, and I'm in your backyard. I'm a staunch supporter of the Constitution. 
and I will defend that Second Amendment with my life. That's how I met Mike Carpinelli. Lewis County Sheriff Mike Carpinelli was at Freedom Fest. Carpinelli is part of a far-right movement known as the Constitutional Sheriffs, which teaches sheriffs they don't have to enforce laws they think are unconstitutional. We'll hear more about that in the next episode. Here's Carpinelli talking back in 2022 about the need to defend the country against tyranny. If all else fails, if all else fails, then we know what we have to do. Standing on the stage at Freedom Fest, Mizrahi looks Carpinelli in the eye and says he'd give the sheriff the shirt off his back. And then he does, literally. He takes off his Liberty State Militia hoodie and presents it to Carpinelli in a big gesture of loyalty. Mike Carpinelli, I pledge my militia. We will forever stand by your side for someone who stands by ours. We reached out to Mizrahi. We wanted to ask him about his militia. He told us he was no longer involved in it. Still, we were hoping he could tell us about the militia scene in general, how these groups work. When do they go from target practice and training in the woods to action? And we actually had an interview lined up. But on the day we were supposed to talk... Um, I need to speak to you very quickly and very um, bluntly. Okay. I'm going to have to turn down your interview. Um, I apologize for any time that I might have wasted of yours. But uh, it is definitely not something I can do. So I apologize. Um, I wish you luck on your article. And um, that is all that I can say at this point. So best of luck. Okay. Um, So that didn't work out. But we did connect with another guy involved with the militia movement named Josh Schof. Um, And are we on speakerphone? You are. You are on speakerphone until it transfers over to my truck. Okay. All right. Schof is a self-described three percenter. He's traveled the country for major anti-government and far-right events in recent years. Schof says he was at the infamous Bundy standoff back in 2014, and he led an armed military-style group at the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. He's based in Tennessee, but says he helps train militia members in New York. Schof says militias here are run on a military-style rank structure. These groups are, are organized to the point that they have message boards, they have meetings of their own, and those things are put out so that, you know, hey, If you want to come to a training or having training on this and this date, this is the instructor or this is the location. We don't know how many people in the North Country are part of militias. We also don't know exactly how many militias there are around the state, though, according to Schof, there are more than 12. Experts say the militia landscape has changed over the last few years. Some of these groups have gone underground or disbanded. Schof told us there are a lot of misconceptions about militias. He says they want to protect everyone, no matter their gender or political party or race. He says skin color means nothing to him. But in 2019, a black congressman from Virginia suggested using the National Guard to enforce new gun laws. Schof called for that congressman to be lynched. Schof says he didn't know at the time the congressman was black, but he still stands by his statement. And I said we should take him out in the middle of the street and hang him. I said what I said because he advocated for using force against citizens. Is that not treason? This is why these groups are so alarming for law enforcement, security officials, and extremism experts. 
They often claim they're peaceful, say they would defend everybody. But in fact, they're driven by their own ideologies. In a way, they're inherently a vigilante movement. Joe Winnicka Leiden is an analyst with the Southern Poverty Law Center. I think that the biggest threat is that you have groups that have taken it upon themselves to decide what is legal and what's not legal. They are not really accountable to anybody else to wield potential lethal force. It's also dangerous because a lot of these groups are driven by what we call anti-government conspiracy theories. One group that's been active in upstate is the New York Watchmen. They deny they're a militia, but describe themselves as a civil defense group. They've marched in the streets dressed in tactical gear. Charles Pauline leads the New York Watchmen. He talked on a podcast in 2020 about the kind of people they recruit. You know, we take the military guys and the former police officers, and we've got special forces veterans. We've got several black belts in our group. We've got MMA fighters. We've got championship boxers. So we're not just some ragtag bunch of guys out there that don't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. That clip was first reported by WBFO, the public radio station in Buffalo. There have been some really brutal fights between right-wing groups like Pauline's flaunting their tactical gear and counter-protesters on the left. That kind of violence has unfolded in bigger upstate cities, like Albany and Buffalo. In the rural North Country region where our radio station is based, there really hasn't been that much of that type of violence that we know of. Incidents here seem more scattered, harder to define. But far-right groups have rallied and posted propaganda around the region. And there is data on this stuff, and lots of people researching it. The Southern Poverty Law Center tracked 53 hate and anti-government groups statewide in 2022. There's research tracking both far-right and far-left extremism in the U.S. But top security officials and experts say extremism on the right is much more violent and more likely to be deadly. Cynthia Miller-Idris is a professor at American University, where she leads the Polarization and Extremism Research and Innovation Lab. We're seeing surges in targeted threats, some of which has erupted into violence, but even more making people feel just unsafe. State and federal agencies like the FBI track threats in the North Country and throughout New York. They also keep an eye on which groups are trying to recruit here. And in recent years, we have seen that happening. This past fall, signs for a far-right group known as Patriot Front were posted in the Adirondack communities of Keene and Upper Jay. The group also hung signs in Plattsburgh in 2018. Another group that's tried to recruit in the area is the Ku Klux Klan. Over the years, there have been reports of KKK flyers in Fulton, Montgomery, and Oneida counties. Then, in 2021, a data leak from a three percenters group showed that about a third of its registered members were from St. Lawrence County. We also heard about sovereign citizens who believe laws don't apply to them. Fulton County Sheriff Rich Giardino, who himself has been part of a far-right sheriff's group, told us about his encounters with sovereign citizens when we interviewed him last summer. I've had more issues with sovereign citizens than I have with Oath Keepers or other individuals. Sovereign citizens are resistant and say that they're not complying with the laws. You know, those lead to more high-risk confrontations with police. We'll hear more from Giardino later in our series. 
It's important to note that here in the North Country, a lot of this kind of activity seems to revolve around gun rights and the Second Amendment. And not everyone who identifies with a certain far-right ideology is part of an official group. So how did we get here? How did far-right anti-government groups and ideologies take root here in the region? Joe Henderson says some of it has to do with the growing economic inequality in the North Country. Henderson is a professor at Paul Smith's College in the Adirondacks. Historically, you had jobs that were kind of very masculine jobs around timbering and mining that were shaping the communities in this area and shaping people's livelihoods, shaping people's sense of who they are. And in a lot of rural areas in the United States, those kinds of careers are gone now. Good-paying middle-class jobs have evaporated in rural areas like the North Country. And Henderson says people are correctly angry about that. But who are they angry at? And so what happens often when you have social disruption, cultural disruption, economic disruption, is there's groups of people who look around for kind of some authority. And they want someone to kind of make it great again. That's happening all around the world. People are turning to authoritarian groups or leaders. Here in the North Country, some have been drawn to groups like the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys. This is from a propaganda video made by the Proud Boys. It shows scenes from their three rallies in Saratoga County last summer, including their march in front of Jess Rich's wine shop in Boston Spa. Some people on the street give the group the middle finger. Others look supportive, stopping to salute their American flags. Cynthia Miller Idris from American University says propaganda for a group like the Proud Boys specifically targets people who feel something's been stolen from them. Whether that's a white majority country or your Second Amendment rights might be taken away by the government supposedly or, you know, conspiracy theory about Jews or feminists taking something away or an election being stolen. All those types of propaganda are very much rooted in the idea that you're going to lose something. And we've seen some of that targeted propaganda around the region. But Miller Idris says way more recruitment is happening on the Internet. It's impossible to overstate how much toxic online spaces in particular have played a role in the spread of hateful content and in the normalization of that content. So it's not that we hadn't seen this stuff before. It's just a new form, and it's sort of supercharged in the online environment. And she says that's led to real-world violence, like with the QAnon conspiracy theory that inspired a shooting at a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. That theory is based on the false claim the Democratic elites are running a child sex ring. It was born online and has made it out into the real world, including here in upstate New York. In the summer of 2020, there was a rally in Watertown where people held signs that said, Save the Children, which has become a QAnon hashtag. The organizer says QAnon did not inspire that event. In the spring of 2022, there was a similar gathering in Plattsburgh. Hey, things are picking up around here. The woman in this Facebook video is holding a sign that says, quote, Trump saves children, Biden abducts them. The QAnon theory has no basis in reality, and the FBI considers the movement a national security threat. Another conspiracy theory that's gained traction in recent years is the Great Replacement Theory. That's the racist notion that there's a plot to replace white voters with non-white immigrants. 
There's an anti-Semitic element, too, that somehow Jews are behind it all. The mass shooters in Pittsburgh in 2018, in El Paso and Christchurch in 2019, all embraced the replacement theory. Then, in the spring of 2022, it happened again in upstate New York. Witnesses say a man armed with a rifle entered that market and opened fire. A white gunman from near Binghamton, New York, murdered 10 black people at a supermarket in Buffalo. It was one of America's deadliest hate crimes in decades. Before the mass shooting, the gunman published a manifesto online about replacement theory. We're talking tonight not just about another racist mass shooting, but also the driving notion behind this and several others, and more controversially, the question of whether that notion, white replacement theory as it's called, is being tolerated or even perpetuated by some on the political right. Anderson Cooper on CNN, a few days after the Buffalo mass shooting. There's breaking news right now on one such figure, New York Congresswoman and third-ranking House Republican Elise Stefanik. She's being accused of using replacement theory language in campaign ads, something she denies. Elise Stefanik is a high-ranking Republican in Congress. Stefanik has represented New York's North Country region since 2015. In the fall of 2021, months before the Buffalo shooting, Stefanik's campaign released an ad on Facebook. It seemed to echo the Great Replacement Theory. It claimed the Democrats were plotting a, quote, permanent election insurrection by granting amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants. Stefanik denied any embrace of replacement theory. She told a CNN reporter she condemns racism. I've never made a racist comment, and I know nationally as expanding the Republican Party among by supporting black candidates and Hispanic candidates. Stefanik has also amplified other conspiracy theories and normalized far-right rhetoric, like repeating false claims about the 2020 election long after they were debunked. Stefanik blamed Nancy Pelosi for the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, and she described Democrats as pedo-grifters, pedo as in pedophile, in an apparent nod to the QAnon conspiracy theory, though Stefanik has denied that connection. I think what she does and what a lot of politicians do is they lean into radicalization because the base is kind of asking for it. That's Joe Henderson again from Paul Smith's college. If you have political elites that are normalizing violent rhetoric, I don't care what your party is. I worry about that. I worry about that because there's going to be some small element that is going to take that toward action. Things are happening very quickly there on the it appears to be the east side of the Capitol. People are now are have moved past uh, the police and into the building. On January 6, 2021, more than 2,000 people illegally entered the U.S. Capitol. The goal was to overturn the presidential election. One woman came up to me and she said that this is what happens when they believe that there have been uh, what they believe are fraud in the election and told me these are people standing up for America. But you can... For years, this whole constellation of groups and ideas had been brewing. Militias, white supremacists, anti-government groups, they all converged on January 6th. The threat manifested into something a lot more visible, something real and dangerous. And we know people from around upstate New York went down to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. A town official from the Albany area organized a bus to D.C. that day. She later resigned. A mother and son from Watertown were among the mob that broke into the Capitol. They were convicted for helping steal Nancy Pelosi's laptop from her office. And a young man from Glens Falls named James Bonet served two and a half months in prison for illegally entering the Capitol on January 6th. Good to meet you. I'm nice Emily. Thank you as well. Thanks for doing this. Heck yeah. 
Are you okay if we just sit outside? Is that right? We met James Bonet outside his home last fall. We interviewed him for more than an hour. Bonet says he went down to D.C. that day to learn the truth about the election. There's a lot of people like me that we know the election was stolen. Like, being in January 6th and being there, there's a lot of Americans there that were like, we want answers on this. Bonet says he's still convinced Donald Trump won the 2020 election, that there's a deep state working against the former president. And he's convinced the truth will come out. I think right now we're going through a process of a deep cleaning. And I think through the other side of it, it's going to be awesome. We're going to hear a lot more from Bonet later in this series. He told us that deep cleaning doesn't necessarily mean violence. But a recent poll found that nearly a quarter of Americans believe, quote, true American patriots may have to resort to violence to save the country. One thing we found over and over again in our reporting was that people who believe in extremist ideologies, they believe they are the true patriots, that their group or their ideas are what will save this country from corruption or tyranny. What security officials and experts worry about is what people will do with those beliefs. If All Else Fails is hosted, reported, and produced by me, Zach Hirsch, and Emily Russell. Our editor is David Summerstein. Mixing and sound design by Zach Hirsch. We have grant support from Grist and the Center for Rural Strategies. Our theme is called Sunday Lights by One Such Village. Other music in this series from the Blue Dot Sessions. NCPR's station manager is Mitch Tyke. Our digital team is Bill Hanel, Caitlin Kelly, Ethan Shanty, and Doyle Dean. The artwork for our show was designed by Dan Cash. Special thanks to Caroline Dries and Odette Youssef of NPR, the Kiplinger Program at Ohio University, Paul and Ellen Berkheimer, Ben Chug, and everyone who spoke with us for this series. If All Else Fails is a production of North Country Public Radio in partnership with Zach Hirsch in New York. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. They say it helps. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening.